0: Hello, I'm Linda Elder, the president of the Foundation for Critical Thinking. I'm here with my colleague, Dr. Gerald Nosich, who is a senior fellow with the Foundation for Critical Thinking. Welcome, Gerald.
1: Thank you, Linda. I'm glad to be glad to be talking with you. Again.
0: We are coming to you from the, as I've said, Foundation for Critical Thinking, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization in California. This is January the 28th. 2022. We are focused in this series on the analysis of reasoning going deeper. And in this particular session, we're focused on questions, questions in reasoning, part two. And in a minute, I'll remind you of what we did a bit in part one of the question series. In the, in the overall series, we're asking ourselves, how do we better understand this, this part of reasoning? How do we go deeper in this part of reasoning? And I will point out here that no one has fully explored the analysis of reasoning. No one has fully plumbed uh, purpose in reasoning. No one has fully plumbed Questions and reasoning, information, implications. So there's a lot of theory that could still and should still be developed within these elements. In the in part one of this series, we focused just briefly on uh, the questions that emerge from each of the elements of reasoning themselves. So we 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 explored that a bit, and we explored uh, questions that emerge from intellectual standards a bit.
2: Mm-hmm. And we
0: began to explore questions that emerge from intellectual virtues. And we'll go back to that when we focus on uh, our uh, later series on intellectual virtues. Mm-hmm. In this session, we're going to explore other ways of, uh, of using the concept of questions and reasoning. And we're going to see how by uh, making certain conceptual moves within questions, we have more power in our thinking. Now, before we begin to explore these different angles or some of these different angles further, I want to point out that questions is, is, unique as a as an element of reasoning <laughs> as they all are unique <laughs> but it's unique in that for one we don't have developed theory of questions and in the in i believe 1965 it might have been 64 Richard Paul was writing his first dissertation and he focused on questions. Gerald, you'll, you'll know this of course. Mm-hmm. And because we've worked with that dissertation in, mm-hmm. in working with Richard. And I wanted to start with that because you will remember in working uh, with that material that first dissertation which by the way was rejected and it was rejected by the dis- Richard's dissertation committee. Basically I think because they didn't understand it. Mm -hmm. But it was also because it was highly exploratory, and Richard was trying to figure out, you know, how do you categorize questions in different ways, and what 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 moves can you make within questions that will help you reason better? Mm
2: -hmm. And
0: so he, for example, he was talking there about clusters of questions, and he was pulling together what we already knew theoretically about questions. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And I remember when we worked with Richard on that dissertation. Gerald, you'll recall this, what was difficult (laughs) for us (laughs) because it was very complex and and somewhat um, maybe, as I said, exploratory, it was was highly detailed and Mm -hmm. we we didn't really have categorical moves at that point uh, that were easily made based on the detail he was working in. But one of the things I remember clearly was clusters of questions. So if you think, so we could start there. So we can think that questions, we can realize that questions occur in clusters
2: mm-hmm.
0: and we can, we can categorize these clusters in different ways. But one of the examples I was, I was thinking of was, for example, w- when you think about your health, mm-hmm. you, if I say, th- think about your health, um, your physical health, mm-hmm. what are the questions that you ask about your health? And when you answer that, we're going to have a cluster or some clusters of questions, right? That are interrelated. Mm-hmm. So clusters of questions are interrelated the way that clusters of concepts are interrelated.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And you could say, couldn't you say clusters of, pur- of purposes and clusters of information and clusters of implications? So that's this one uh, early move I was thinking of. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. No, I was just going to say. Yeah. There. I guess what makes them clusters primarily is relevance. Relevance to, in this case, health. For the, for example. Uh, I mean, that's that that strikes me just off the top of my head as the as the thread that makes that makes the cluster a cluster. Um, mm-hmm. It's not just association. Uh, oh, this brings up another thought. Right. Yeah. Yeah, right.
0: And note the que- and note the concept of your, as, as I was saying, I was sort of becoming more and more clear. So i meant physical health. So mm-hmm. that's a concept. So right. the concept, when I, when I, when I ask the question, the larger question focused on that concept, we have clusters of questions that emerge.
1: Yeah. And what, what, one other thing I can say about the clusters of questions, it, it, it's a uh, different, much more psychological or pedagogical or something like that. And that is, um, in my classes, I often had my students work kind of extensively on asking questions. And uh, many times, students would have no questions at all to begin with. And even if I gave points, they, they had, some of them couldn't come up with a question at all. But then what happened is once questions started to come, other questions emerged. And other questions emerged. And that prompted other questions. Oh, yeah, well, let me ask about that. I never thought about that before. So that the the clusters kind of developed out of the process of questioning. It's not just out of the process of questioning, it's the promoted process of questioning, meaning this is what our inquiry actually is about, is about asking questions. It's not about taking notes on the information that's being given mm-hmm. in class. Um,
0: yeah, that, that's that's why, why it's a bit, it's, it's very sad that mm-hmm. we don't, we, when we look at young children, look at a four or five-year-old that's been, um appropriately raised let's see let's say given the basics it's right. a, you know had its basic needs met this is a child that's going to have a lot of inquiry asking a lot of questions right. has not been told not to do that yet mm-hmm. it's, it's just asking questions asking questions and asking questions and asking questions and, ask, and then uh so the mind naturally does that you see mm-hmm. we, we know that from from that that data mm-hmm. <laughs> which, of which we have much Mm-hmm. and so therefore we know the human mind is perfectly capable of doing that and right. if you can do it very well when you're a four-year-old whatever your iq level right. then why why can't you do that well i mean many times better mm-hmm. as an
1: adult mm-hmm. 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 And, um yeah and and one of the things that goes against it this is now not about clusters or the logical question so much as uh, it's the kind of the culture of education um probably not just education but we're as students students mostly are i was uh, students are mostly acculturated to taking down information to listening at least in the sense of writing the writing the <laughs> lectures down in the notes and it's a it's a It's a culture that where questioning just doesn't arise. I -hmm. I think it doesn't even arise in your own mind unless you're unless you're primed for that ahead of time, or unless that's promoted. Yeah,
0: right. That's why. But once we do promote it, Mm -hmm. actually promote it, not just say that we're promoting it,
2: but we actually
0: promote it in the classroom Mm -hmm. and, for that matter, anywhere else. Mm-hmm. when it's promoted it does it does begin to generate and begin to generate and begin to generate right new ideas and new questions right so this is very much related to internal motivation but also external conditions for questioning for mm-hmm. allow the allowance of questioning mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. there are a lot of things we don't ask because really not allowed to ask them in our societies
1: right and um and in some my my uh understanding is that in some cultures that the there's a definite prohibition against asking questions Mm -hmm. i had a a liberian student in in my class an older gentleman and uh he just he just had a very hard time because it just it was considered very disrespectful Mm -hmm. to ask a question of the authority. And, and I have also worked with at least one group of Native Americans. I'm, I've been told that other Native Americans have the same kind of thing, but where questions are seen as disrespectful. Um, and um, and I, I have to confess, I don't know quite what to, what to do about that, because you can't within your culture safely go around being disrespectful, even if, by my lights, the actual activity you're engaged in doesn't show any disrespect at all um
0: well I, the the sad thing is that to the degree that you're not able to question mm-hmm. fully you're not able to think
1: right yeah. right because yeah
0: if you cannot ask questions mm-hmm. that you actually are seeking the answer to right I mean, you don't have the
2: answer right
0: and you're not allowed to ask it so how are you going to you know how are you going to get a satisfying answer. If you get no answer, right. how are you going to grow, and how are you? Is your mind going to expand?
1: Right. Yeah. And and, and uh, I mean, I mentioned Liberian and, and a, a group of uh, Native Americans, but the the same thing holds for people in uh, in our in the culture uh, in a classroom uh, as well. In um, that um, in my in my webinar the other night. Uh, we were talking about questions and um, the importance of raising them and everything. And, And one of the participants said that she's one of those people who asks questions and And she'll ask a question, say in a classroom of of the instructor, and then she'll have another question and she'll ask that one. And pretty soon she starts being looked on by the other people in the group as, what are you doing this for? They're just massive disapproval. And sometimes that comes from the teacher as well, because the teacher wants to cover the material. And here you are taking up time by asking your questions. And, um, and so there's this, uh, it's, it's not formally enshrined in our culture to frown on questions. In fact, we say the opposite, but in, in practice, it often is frowned upon to ask, mm-hmm. ask questions or to ask too many. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I could say one of my favorite illustrations of this or something like it is uh, if you watch war movies or police drama movies. Um, so in the war movie, the Colonel will stand up and turn in front of 30 soldiers and says, they'll say, we're going on this operation and your group goes over here to the left, you circle around behind, you go up over here, you do this. And, and the, the cert- Colonel will talk for 15 minutes about the plan. And then he'll say, are there any questions? And no one raises a question. <laughs> I'm, I'm mm-hmm. sitting there thinking, I got a ton of questions. I mean, right. My life is on the line about this. <laughs> so, the lives of all these others. What if it doesn't go right? What if, what's our plan? Right. B? What, what if I mix up left and right? I mean, mm-hmm. um, and, um, and I've asked, actually talked to people in the military and the and uh, some a few police, and they say that's not just movies. That's what actually happens when someone tells you when the colonel gets up and tells you the plan. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I think that it would I think it would take a great deal of intellectual courage in a meeting of being one of 30 soldiers where the colonel is giving you the plan to raise the question, well, what, what do we do if this goes wrong? I think that would be seen often as obstructive, as not being part of the team, whereas to me it right. makes a better part of the team.
0: This is why intellectual autonomy is so important.
1: Yeah, right.
0: So if we, again, if we encourage the intellectual, the, the development of intellectual character, and mm-hmm. a person is, is in, a situ, in a situation like that right. is able, To uh, first of all, say okay. Here's my real question, and second, is it safe to ask it? Yes. Right. And so, and
2: so Mm -hmm. so you
0: have to be able to make both of those moves,
2: Mm -hmm. and
0: you've got to make them well. Right. So then, I think so that that students asking questions of the teacher is what is um, in in the in a kind of situation like the one you were mentioning Mm -hmm. in class um, Mm -hmm. a few minutes ago is, is it illuminates for me, one of the problems, one of the reasons why we're not advancing critical thinking very much in education is because we're not placing questions at the heart of teaching and learning. Mm -hmm. We are still placing content undigested content Mm -hmm. at the heart of teaching and learning so we still have massive amounts of lecture going on
2: Mm -hmm. decades
0: after we've known it doesn't work right and i mean the the research has proven it we knew we've always known it for (laughs) hundreds of years if you were paying attention but some people need the the actual you know scientific data okay it's been Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. decades Mm -hmm. but we're still thinking that we can just cram ideas into students heads so my point is that until, until students are generating questions regularly in the teaching and learning process, um, we're not going to be able to um, move very far in, in human societies because right. we're not, we don't know how to ask good questions. We wouldn't know, we, we don't know when we do have a good question, we don't know how to break that down into other questions. Mm-hmm. We don't know what moves we can make with that question we were mm-hmm. you not know, using the right standards for approaching the question. Mm-hmm. Questions is just, you know, 2,400 years after Socrates has just been swept under the rug. Yes, yeah, Socratic questioning. We like that. But what, what does that mean to you? How are you engaging in it? All yep. right, so right. I'll let you in. I'll let you to come in to get well, a word I, in edgewise here, yeah. Gerald. <laughs> no,
1: I wanted to say, uh, I, I think in many ways uh, that lecture is, is the, Opposite of questioning, uh, in pedagogical terms, and so I wonder how it is that so many co- people could believe in lecture or uh, engage in it so completely, given all the evidence that it doesn't work, and <laughs> the evidence be- even before we did empirical analyses of it. And it's uh, a and, and as I think about it, it's because lecture does sometimes work. The way it works is if it's something you already know a huge amount about. Mm-hmm. And now you hear somebody else who also knows a huge amount about it, but has a somewhat different point of view, and you're able to you know, think your way through it. Right. And I think that's the role that most uh, professors are in, most instructors are in. That is, they know they know their area really well. And so it seems as if mm-hmm just explaining it clearly conveys it to the other person. Mm-hmm. Whereas in fact, what conveys it to the other person is having a question, having the question answered or responded to at least partially and then raising another question and working out your difficulties or your, or your misunderstandings mm-hmm. or the gaps. Um, so I think there's a mechanism well, that makes lecture so, still so prominent.
0: Yes, I'm glad. Thank you for that, that, that um, qualification. Mm -hmm. So there are certain cases where a lecture is um, perfectly appropriate, but these are going to be areas and now connecting it to questions where, as you've implied, if not stated, Mm -hmm. the people involved in those high level uh, lectures Mm -hmm. are Mm -hmm. asking when they walk in a whole host Right.
2: Questions. Right. We've
0: got these questions going on in the back of our mind. Now, yes. What do you add to that? Okay. I'm making. I'm making that move. I'm making this move. I'm making that move. Mm-hmm. Lecture still may not be the best way to even teach in that, those situations.
1: Right. It doesn't mean
0: that it's the best way, but right. it's it's. But you so I, that's very important for people to see. So if mm-hmm. you if you're if you're lecturing to students without these skills, right. Then. Yeah they're not making any of these moves, right. and they don't know how to make them. Right. So how are you teaching, how are you going to connect these great ideas that you have to this, these students that are asking no questions and just are asking when this class is over?
1: Right, right, um, yeah. yeah. So this
0: is connected to the idea, the important idea, again, that thinking is driven by questions. Mm-hmm. If you have no questions, there can be no understanding. You, you are, if you have no questions, you're not asking any other related questions because you don't have the first question. Right, right, you're not right. in the room of, t- of <laughs> like learning in, right. this, in this content if you don't right. have any questions.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So that is why Richard always opened his classes with what are your questions?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean I'm going to answer them. It means I want to know what they are. And because when you tell me your questions, it, then that I can assess mm-hmm. to a large degree where we are in in the content. Mm-hmm. 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 So go ahead.
1: No, I was going to say, and there are many mechanisms for that, because sometimes students just don't want to say the questions out loud in class, but mm-hmm. I, I can, I, I think I may have gotten this. E- either this technique or the idea for a similar technique from Richard, and that is just pass out a very quick survey. Um, which, of, which of the concepts in class are clear to you? Which of them are unclear? Which of them are in the middle? And in effect, it, it's generating questions because now they have to right. think. okay, is this concept clear? Is this concept mm-hmm. not clear? And, uh, and they, can mm-hmm. just, they can just check. So I can get mm-hmm. a quick rundown of what, of what they're understanding and that's related to questioning.
0: Yes, right. Because every time you have one element, you have the others. That's right. that's why if you're really focusing on well, let's say you're focusing on concepts. Mm-hmm. In other words, what are the concepts you've learned at this point in the classroom, into in the class? Um, then when you t- when you articulate those concepts, mm-hmm. then that the your articulation implies questions.
2: Right. Right.
0: OK, so so we've talked just a little bit about the the complexity of questions. We, we just just touched on the concept of clusters of questions and that that idea has not been fully developed.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: and but you get the idea um, like you could say you could say, here's an assignment for, for you, for, for all of us. So you could say, what are the cluster questions? most prominent in your life. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then
0: I could say, let's go back to med. So let's go back to uh, physical health. So Mm -hmm. if, if your physical health is important to you and you spend energy on that, so you exercise, you have an exercise plan that's well-developed or somewhat developed or whatever level you are. Right. And then you really think about the food that you eat. You think seriously about it. You, you know, you have my body is my temple kind of mentality about what you bring into your body you see so all of these th- these are, are per- these particulars I'm, I'm talking about now are would be personal to a given individual right and so i could but i could say so so that's so that's one part of your life potentially that is a cl- entails a cluster of questions that you're mm-hmm. asking and that you're pursuing and then what's another one let's say your your career Mm-hmm. Be another example and then your intimate relationships or right. your parenting right so you have these these rooms in the house of your mind and in those rooms are question clusters
1: yeah and and i want to say just the, just the move you just made i was looking a way to write write it down you said you began by saying if health is something that's very important in your life what are the clusters of questions around it and uh, uh stepping back from that just one step it just seems like a very good question to ask. So what are the most important ideas in my life, the most important concepts in my life? You then went through a number of them. and um, But that's a very unusual question for a person to ask about, uh, about her life, right? Um, what are the most important parts of it that i can question what are the most important concepts for that i revolve my life around and now what questions do i have about those mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. that's a that's a very that's a that's a deep sort of question um it goes deep into our our understanding of things
0: and it's these deep and really foundational questions right that we often if not usually, as you said, ignore, but that mm-hmm. are guiding the quality of our lives mm-hmm. and our quality of our future, mm-hmm. and the way we look at life, and you see the big questions.
2: Mm-hmm. You could say
0: what is the what is the big question cluster of your life? Meaning, what are the big the big questions that are driving most most of what you do? And because at the end of your life, you want to be able to look back and say, I lived the life that I would have hoped I could have lived.
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, And that means
0: asking the right questions.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Or not the right questions, but the better, the better of the possibilities.
2: Right. Right. Uh, Yeah. Best
0: we can come up with at the moment, given the, the level of our knowledge abilities and emotional well-being at the moment something like that
1: right um yeah the way i might uh, <clears throat> the way i might obsess about how to get about a scratch on the side of my car or something like that and um and uh if i step back from that if i if i could emotionally step back from that as well I don't have a scratch in my car, but my car it wouldn't notice. But I'm um, hypothetical example. Um, if uh, if I could step back from that, I could I could say oh, that's really a very minor question as far as the important the important things in my life. It really is just incredibly right. tiny. Um, right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, you, know, you, I think once you you mentioned to me this this research that shows that humans are very poor at um at giving the proper level of weight yeah. to a problem in their life.
2: Right. That we, yeah.
0: That that's always that that's always sort of stuck with me. I remember one time I had my uh I think it was my purse stolen from a car. Mm-hmm. And that as soon as I realized what had happened, I started telling myself really strongly this is not a problem Uh just an inconvenience right this is not a problem
2: Uh uh-huh that's right somebody who's
0: using your credit cards right now that's not a problem right you're gonna have to get a new driver's license it's not a problem Mm-hmm. you got your, you're gonna to have to get a new window it's not a problem it's not it's not you know but it was feeling like it was
2: it, right
1: it Right.
0: on feeling like it was i uh, say no it's not no it's not
1: no it's not yeah <laughs> it's an inconvenience right and uh, or a, a set of inconveniences but <laughs> but not a problem right but that's not the way it feels at all um, putting,
0: thing in, putting things in perspective
1: mm-hmm.
0: keeping things into proper perspective
1: mm-hmm. is
0: a very powerful concept
1: yeah and illuminated by the question how important is this in my life how important is this
0: exactly exactly so then let's turn so we could obviously get into further uh, discussion on a clusters of questions but now we each have an assignment we could mm-hmm. about the all the main areas of our lives and the main questions we're asking Mm -hmm. and then um we've talked about the importance of asking questions and we've talked about the importance of encouraging the asking of questions and this is an open-ended encouragement Mm -hmm. it's not just okay now is a question and answer session okay that's it no we're not asking questions right now we're only asking them here no we mean that we can ask it whenever it's appropriate, you know. The time has come, and I'm, you know, allowed, and, and I can. Then I can ask freely. Right. And the more we ask questions, the more we um, become comfortable with asking questions. We also see that um, that we we really can't learn without asking questions. Right. I want to give just a very quick example. I had a, a personal example. For me, when I was a graduate student and I was taking a statistics class,
2: mm-hmm.
0: my professor was really trying at critical thinking, but he mm-hmm. didn't quite have—he didn't have the concepts.
2: Mm-hmm. He,
0: so he came in and he and he read um, something from—I um, forgot exactly—was it was essays that were totally unrelated to statistics,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and we didn't know why he was doing that, and then he sat on the his table his desk and he just sat there he didn't say anything and what he wanted we figured out you know a bit later is that he wanted us to ask questions mm-hmm. and he, but he didn't know how right to say that and my, maybe he finally said you know so nobody has a question all right so then I I was looking around. Right statistics is not really my thing I mean I can do it if required and You know, math is fine if I have to, but you know, I don't really love it. Mm -hmm. But I, I, uh, so it wasn't really my favorite class and I didn't really wanna be, you know, like putting my heart and soul into it. But there he was asking for questions and nobody had one. So I thought, well, I've got at least one and I'm sure that somebody else in here probably has that same one. So I'll just ask that one. And, you know, so I asked that one question and then people around me going, yeah, because of the writing the answer. So you see, they had the same question. Uh-huh. So then I, and then nobody's asking questions. So I asked another question. And so you see, from that, I learned just go yeah. on and ask it, you know, because, of course, I had learned it a lot earlier that if you if you just participate, if you just sort of push yourself forward a bit and say, you know, OK, well, here's a question I have then suddenly you you can ask questions. So you Mm -hmm. ask it once, you can ask it again, you're gonna keep asking. Mm -hmm. So it builds, these skills build, this confidence builds when we just go ahead and take the chance.
1: Right, and I I, I wanna make a little proviso in it uh, about asking questions. And that is uh, sometimes people ask me um, or sometimes people draw the conclusion that it's always good to ask the question and there's a sense in which that's true but it's not always good to ask the question out loud that is there's the question of safety right i mean if you're in stalinist soviet union there are questions you you should not be asking out loud it's probably very it's probably good to have them in your mind but even there even having them in your mind you might blurt it out at the wrong occasion Mm -hmm. but so, uh, so there's nothing about asking questions that dictates that those should be asked out loud, and that also mm-hmm. includes in class. Um, I, I once, as a fellow professor, took a, sat in on a course in 20th century music composition, and the. we're engaged in spelling chords and and the teacher said okay you gotta ask me about this the exam's coming up if you don't ask me right now about what you don't understand you're not going to do well on the exam nobody asked a question so he repeated it more stridently you gotta ask the question and a student said okay so how do you how do you spell a b flat in a chord and and the professor went oh if i've told you once i've told you a thousand times Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, so I'm sure he didn't do it consciously. But right. He set the person up. It's not and the he, question. He, yeah.
0: Yeah, those are good. Those are good caveats. And I, I, I implied that earlier, but I didn't absolutely state it. In other words, we need our critical thinking with us all the time. Right. And that includes when know helping us know when to ask a question and also when I say you should be free to ask questions whenever you want that doesn't mean to be obnoxious with your question asking either
2: right right right.
0: and I've learned for my part in my classes that I've been in as a student Mm -hmm. because I've I've learned that it's it's you learn more when you when you do participate when you do ask questions Mm -hmm. I've learned to sometimes just keep my mouth shut and let somebody else talk
2: mm -hmm. Right.
0: So you just because you have this great question doesn't mean now is the time for you to ask it because Mm -hmm. maybe you're the only one has that's had a chance to ask anything. Mm
1: -hmm. So you
0: you know I I was I was talking about the spirit of questions Mm -hmm. question generating. Right. right. Mainly we're not generating good questions. Indeed. Right. And so we knew we need all these nuances and caveats Mm to bring
2: in. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So now we can turn to some other theory that we have developed uh, in our school of thought, the Paulian School of Thought, beginning with the work of Richard Paul. And we can um, we can burrow in a bit to let's say um, any one of them. So let's let's focus on what we call three types of questions.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And now, Gerald, would you like to just briefly explain what that means?
1: Well, there are, uh, uh, it's, we say it in different vocabularies at different times, but one is that there's a a kind of question called, we call a one system question, and that is, uh, typically those are kind of matters of fact, or uh, the kinds of things that you could just look up somewhere. Um, What's the boiling point of lead is is an example of a one system question. Mm -hmm. I don't have to do... uh, the only critical thinking I have to do with respect to a question like that is figure out where to look it up. Uh, it's just a straightforward question. One system. Another kind is uh, is a no system question. And that is it's a question that doesn't really have exactly a logic to it at all. Sometimes it's like, um, what's your favorite opera? Well, and or i mean in a joke I used to tell long ago is what's your favorite color? Orange? Wrong you can't right. be you can't be wrong i mean it's just mm-hmm. your favorite color and and somebody even says well why is orange your favorite color uh, you, There just doesn't quite make sense you you might make up a story from childhood or something like that but it can just be your favorite color so there's no system at there's no system to it there's i don't have to figure anything out there's another way of putting it where mm-hmm. i think of figuring out as a rough and ready synonym for reasoning it out But then the most interesting type of question from a critical thinking point of view is multi-system questions. And that is where we have to think through relatively complex questions, and we have to approach it from using different ways of thinking about it. If If I'm a medical doctor, at least two systems I have to bring is, first, my medical knowledge that I'm bringing to bear, and the whole systematics of the medical knowledge i'm bringing to this patient's problem but then another system i have to think in terms of or i should think in terms of is that patient's psychology the how the patient is going to take what it is i'm going to be saying what they're going to be doing about it or not doing about it and those are very different systems um and that mm-hmm. happens very prominently when we combine disciplines with one another um when we have a sociological question which has a biological dimension to it, for example. Uh, We have to think it out in terms using different systems and that gives rise to judgment and judgment answers where judgment answers can be correct or incorrect, but much of the time they're they're multifaceted answers with with multiple parts and there may be no hard and fast single right answer. Mm -hmm. Let me say say one more thing about the one system questions, uh, often just classified as factual questions. I like thinking of them as one system more than as factual. But even though those are one system questions, meaning I don't have to engage in critical thinking about them, once upon a time they were critical thinking questions. That is, people had to figure out and experiment to find the boiling point of lead. So before that was known, that was a multi-system question. How do I go about finding it out? How is it related to other similar elements in the periodic table, though they couldn't have said that because there was no periodic table then. Um, So people had to think in terms of multiple systems to come up with the factual answer. So it once upon a time did involve critical thinking, um, though it's so well established that it doesn't need that now.
0: So um, <laughs> let let me let me um, come back to that if I could, and just if I could just then recap mm-hmm. what you
2: said. Please do, and,
0: and then and then come back to that and other some few other examples. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. The way I understand this is that ca- questions, all questions can fall into one of three categories according mm-hmm. to this scheme. Either it's a, as you said, one system question, and you mentioned questions of fact, we might also say our question's of procedure,
2: procedure. Right.
0: Right. So it may be a complicated procedure,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but the procedure is agreed upon mm-hmm. by educated users or specialists in the field, depending on the the case or educated thinkers rather than users. educated thinkers or specialists in the field Mm -hmm. so if you ask what is the boiling point of lead and somebody says well you know I think it's like 28 degrees Mm -hmm. somebody else says well I I think it's you know and they just start throwing out numbers Mm -hmm. and somebody says well let's just you know vote on it Mm -hmm. (laughs) obviously they don't understand the question they don't right. understand that that is a scientific question mm-hmm. and it's answered in a scientific way
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> using
0: scientific procedures
2: mm-hmm. and those
0: procedures are agreed upon by let's say mainstream or the best scientists in the field depending mm-hmm. on the case
2: mm-hmm. so
0: we, we um, for, for system one questions we're looking for the right answer or the right procedure for finding the answer and When we have the question, then we know what will be uh, whether we need to to consider a specialist viewpoint or what the question will determine how we find that answer. Mm -hmm. We don't have to find it ourselves. In other words, it's it's found for us. It's been found. Right now, although I want to just give a slightly different view from the one that you gave. I don't think that every category one question falls into the category of that it was once a complicated question. So, for example, who is your mother? So that I know who my mother is. I've always known it, and that is a question of fact mm-hmm. and Now, if somebody said later, well, Linda, you said it was a question, it was a, a, you knew who your mother was, but here's your birth certificate showing that that's not actually your mother. Right. Um, But um, I could say, well, when I met, when I met mother, when I thought of mother, I I was thinking of the one who raised me. So that's my mother, no matter what paperwork you should But anyway, my point is that there are a lot of questions that don't have to be, didn't have to be proven by someone. They were questions that we know by implication. And these fall into category one. Some of these are category one questions.
1: Right. And, and I, I think I would approach it a little differently, though I do take your, your, the case of uh, the, the motherhood one. But one uh, system questions that have, let's say, a right answer. Mm-hmm. Um, giving the wrong answer there's still one system questions
2: yes.
1: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. so so if you in fact uh had a concept of mother that meant the person who raised you the woman who raised you if you in fact had that ahead of time then i'm saying you're exactly right but for many people they have just a a a a concept of mother which doesn't distinguish biological from the person who who raised me. So there's a way in which the concept of mother is kind of ambiguous, Mm -hmm. but either side of the ambiguity, biological or the person who raised me, has a single right answer which can be established. Yeah.
0: Yes, once you say that this is the use that I intend Mm -hmm. by this question, then the one system, right. Right, right. Yeah. So then, but then also I wanna just build on that. So where, where your point is very important about um, questions of fact, first needing to be treated as questions of judgment, mm-hmm. take question like, what is the cure or the best cure or what is a cure for AIDS? Right, right. So there may be a cure there had there hasn't been a cure yet, I don't think, but we're you know that basically it's yeah much better. But let's just say, right, so um so I don't I'm not sure exactly the status. I know there are medications that make it so that people can live maybe mm-hmm. a normal lifespan if you have AIDS, but that's not the same thing as a cure. Right. So what I'm saying is that if you take the question, what is a cure for AIDS? Let's say eventually there is going to be one. And when that comes to be, then it will be clearly a category one question.
1: Indeed, yes.
0: But yeah. right now, it has to be treated as a question of judgment because we don't have the answer.
1: Right, right.
0: We have to try this and that and this and that and a lot of other things. Right. We've done that, then, and you could say, well, it was always a category one question. Oh, yeah. But then that's sort of that's to miss the point. Well, if it's a category one question, then we have an agreed upon answer. So what is it? We don't have it, so it's not can't be a category one question. Right. It can be in the future.
1: Well, I, I don't know. There, there seem two two issues. One is, and I'm not sure these are distinct. One is whether it's a category one question that is a question, whether it's a question that has only one as one and only one right answer. Right. Versus how do we tell? So it seems to me, is there life on other planets is a yes or no question. Fully. How do we figure out if there's life on other planets is a different question that involves figuring it out and thinking in multiple systems. But the answer is going to be all or nothing.
0: Yes, yes, yes. That in that particular case. Yes. So is there life on other planets? Mm -hmm. Uh, That's what makes it a little tricky. Because mm-hmm. although it is a category one question, that is there, it's right, but we don't, if we don't know the answer, then we're we still have to- Right. To basically treat it as a category three or a question of judgment until we right. get the answer.
1: And, 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 and I would think abstractly that there's no reason to think that all, that we would know the answer to all category one questions, right? I mean, uh, there could- right right there could i mean I, I can't see why we would automatically assume that so it's a kind of but, question that's kind of independent of what the actual answer to it is
0: well i think in that case it has to be it has to be treated as a category 3 question so because mm-hmm. if we're if we take a question mm-hmm. and we're going to categorize it mm-hmm. and we ask this question ask these questions first do mm-hmm. any facts bear upon the question that mm-hmm. a reasonable person would have to consider.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then, if the answer is yes, and it's not a question of, of preference, so you can't just say what we like, right? right. Just, well, I think it's orange. No. So, it, you, you have to. So, are, are there any facts that bear upon the question? So, if the answer is yes. It's not a category two question or a question of preference. Mm-hmm. So, it's either a question of fact, let's say, or procedure mm-hmm. or judgment. And now, do the facts the next move is do the facts converge into one agreed upon right. way of looking at the facts? Right. If the answer is no, then it's a category three question.
1: Indeed, judgment question. You're right. Yes. It's
0: a question of judgment. Right. Right. And the one, two, three don't matter, right? Those are just arbitrary. It's right. just a, it's just an easy way to once you've once you've studied the theory to be able to say through the category one, two, or three, Mm -hmm. category one is one system, category two, no system, category three, Mm multi-system. So, or question of judgment, we're moving in and out of this language. So hopefully that's not too confusing. Right. So those moves that I just made are, are essential because if you if you if, if if there's not an agreed upon way of looking at the facts, and you can say, "What do you mean, agreed upon?" Well, I'll go back to what I said earlier. If it's if it's having to do with ed, educated usage,
2: mm-hmm.
0: then we ask, "Well, how do how do educated persons look at this? Not how does anyone look at it. not okay. not not what is any." any view however vulgar it may be Mm -hmm. no how do educated persons look at this Mm -hmm. or how do specialists look at this Mm
2: -hmm.
0: not not um disregarding how educated persons would look at it right so that is very important so then um do you want to? Did you want to?
1: Yeah, I, I was going to say I like the I like the the word convergent in there. In that, if I ask a question like, uh, "How can I best get along with my brother-in-law?", that's inherently a multi-system question. Meaning, mm-hmm. it, it's not agreed upon. Is probably not going to enter in because it's about me. But there's not going to be any one definitive answer. I'm going to be. Uh, I I can do this on this occasion and this at this occasion. But it's not even occasion-oriented. It's gonna be a multifaceted approach, which isn't gonna be a question of procedure or a question of fact. So it's it, it's never gonna to converge to a to a single point. Whereas many questions like the AIDS one might in the future converge mm-hmm. to a single point if we do find yes. a cure for it. Right.
0: Yes. Yeah, so then to kind of to, to sort of recap then the whole. And move a bit more to preference and judgment. So
2: mm-hmm.
0: questions can fall, will we we'll fall into one of these categories? So a question of factor procedure, a question where you can just say your preference, or a mm-hmm. question of we're requiring reason judgment. Mm-hmm. somebody might say, Well, wait a minute, are you sure that covers all the questions? Well, are what other questions are there that don't fit? And I would say, Well, you could add. If you want to stretch this you can add metaphysical questions
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> right uh, yeah
0: so um, but then you you could just say that a metaphysical question is a multi-system question too yeah.
2: Yeah. right probably, so, yeah
0: right so a metaphysical question is not a question of preference or fact because it's right. being metaphysical it's beyond the beyond our understanding right so In any case, questions beyond our understanding, if you want that category, we can add a fourth, but questions beyond our category, uh, well, I mean, beyond our understanding, well, what do you do with those? So (laughs) go ahead, Gerald.
1: Can I ask you for an example of what you mean by a metaphysical question? Um,
2: Is, is um, the, is everything,
0: well, you could you could you could take the ultimate question of how did we get here? Like anything, how did anything arrive in, in the world in in the universe? Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: then you go to the the uh, established sort of arguments. Everything mm-hmm. either either everything came from nothing, everything always was, mm-hmm. or everything came from a supreme being. Mm-hmm. So which is which is another way of saying everything came from nothing I think anyway everything came from nothing everything came, was, always was mm-hmm. or everything came from a supreme being none mm-hmm. of those make sense mm-hmm. logically mm-hmm. so you could almost say well it's just itty miny, mo mm-hmm. but people come up with reasons to believe any one of these
1: right indeed yeah so it's not just any, meeny, miny, It's not just a, It's not just what happens to come into mind. But it's not as if, yeah. I don't know what else to say it, except to say that it's not as if we get we get some enlightenment about about the question. But it's not as if we advance very far toward answering it. What we often find is that there are incorrect answers. <laughs> but 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 as with almost all questions, I mean, sometimes people say there's no right or wrong answer to this too, but I think that's wrong. There are almost always, as far as I can tell, wrong answers to questions, even if there's not only one, only one right answer. So, um, yeah, so.
0: Well, what, what people, and now you're bringing in another big subject and that is, the, the concept of relativism.
2: Uh-huh.
0: And, uh, in other words, um, People who believe basically that all questions are questions of preference. In other words, you can just say anything you like. Right. 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 You have your opinion, Gerald. I have mine. So we just sort of disagree. Okay. Then we'll, well, depends on the case. Mm-hmm. You know. So so are we going to disagree on whether the world is round or flat? Mm-hmm. So okay, you think it's flat, and I think it's round. So let's just toss a coin.
2: Or <laughs> yeah. You know, we no. disagree.
0: So, yeah, no, that that's
2: <laughs> that makes and, no
0: sense. right. It makes no sense. So there, and, and people. Let's just take the way that people treat um, the COVID nineteen vaccination.
2: Mm-hmm. You see, they're
0: using this argument. Well, you got your opinion. I've got my opinion. Mm-hmm. And one of them, one of these opinions is deadly, and the other one is basically benign. Right. But you see, and there people aren't able to make basic moves
2: mm-hmm. like to
0: say, look, I don't know anything about vaccinations.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Let's start there,
2: mm-hmm. except
0: that we've all had them
2: mm-hmm. and they've
0: kept people from dying in many cases.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I mean, these people have vague knowledge of vaccine. we get our animals vaccinated. We get our children vaccinated. We were vaccinated as children.
2: Mm-hmm. But beyond
0: that, it's you know, it's a vague way of thinking about it in many cases. So then now there's a lot of propaganda out there about uh, vaccinations being dangerous and being pushed by the politicians who are mm-hmm. that they're, they're, Bill Gates is trying to put a microchip in all of us. It's going to come through the vaccination. I mean, lots of people believe that sort of thing. Wow. And so... Then what, but but these people cannot make these basic moves, they cannot say again, I know nothing about vaccinations again, about except this little bit. I see all this stuff, this you know, it's floating around here, all this information.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But it seems to me that this question, should I get a vaccination, is fundamentally a scientific question,
2: yeah, right. So right.
0: if if the politicians are, are saying this and they're saying that, that shouldn't really be relevant to me if it's a scientific question. Why, why should I be asking what the politicians think? Any of them. Go I'm gonna ask what do the best scientists think who know something about vaccinations?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now,
0: even then we have to have some trust. I mean, at some point,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but it, 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 you see, these are very fundamental moves. Is, is it a scientific question or not? If it is, is there agreed upon answer? Now the vaccination was a little messy in its rollout because we had people die that shouldn't have had to die and some of the vaccines were better than others.
1: Yeah. Well, um, uh, th- th- as you know, I've, I've, I'm very interested in history and it's just uh, interesting that when Jonah Salk came up with the first polio vaccine and, and uh, it started sweeping through the country, I don't I don't know if you know who Walter Winchell was, but he was the most influential media person in the United States on all the radio programs during the 40s and 50s and on television in the 50s, extremely influential. And even if you don't know who he is, uh, you might recognize his voice. He had a kind of staccato voice. And he said of the polio vaccine, of Salk's polio vaccine, this vaccine may be deadly. And, he, and a lot of people refrained from getting the vaccine because they trusted Walter Winchell. They trusted him on, on other matters so much. And um, a big difference between that and COVID is that one of the reasons his scare did not inhibit the polio vaccine as much as the current vaccines are inhibited is that everybody was already aware of polio. I mean, they were terrified of polio, whereas now there's a lot of denial of COVID or of its of how bad it is, um, even though they're all, all all these people have have died from it. The, but there's another thing I wanted to yeah. say about this, and that is, um, to me, uh, I don't want to call it brilliant because it's so pernicious and horrible. Uh, but the tobacco companies in the late 70s invented this advertising technique in order to say to defend uh, cigarettes as not causing cancer and the it's a single phrase experts disagree and to do that they can find an expert somewhere who says something else and now that's spread all over the place experts disagree Mm so um so notice that 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 First, it's completely irrelevant. Of course, experts disagree. They're humans. Uh, there are going to be some people in any field who don't believe in climate change, um, mm-hmm. even though the vast, vast majority of them do. Um, but it gives people a, a kind of hook to hang yeah. their, yeah, their disagreements true. on in the face of sci- uh, science conclusiveness.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. yeah,
0: Yes, that's true. So relativists can always find some
2: mm-hmm. angle
0: To justify their their absurd relativistic positions. Now, there are times when relativism is relevant. (laughs) So if you say, well, are you short, Linda? Are you a short person? (laughs) Well, Mm -hmm. relative to most other people, yes, Mm -hmm. I am. You see? Mm -hmm. So that's relative to Mm -hmm. you know one another one is shorter and one is taller Mm -hmm. a bunch of them are taller (laughs) so that's that's a concept that has use
2: Mm -hmm. but it's
0: been misused and it's been misused to collapse these categories that we're focusing on here and if you collapse if you collapse these questions together and and people can just make any move and they feel that that's as good as any other
1: move Mm -hmm. then
0: the game is up, so to speak. Yeah,
1: and the reasoning goes out the window, yeah. Mm-hmm. And relativism is, I think, inherent in one system questions, in questions of preference. Questions of preference are always relative to me, to what I mm-hmm. prefer. And so mm-hmm. what it does is it takes multi-system questions and assimilates them into what's at yes. no system questions. Yeah. yeah.
0: Now, just so, just again, to help people understand, so when we take... We think of the uh, one system questions, Gerald gave, what is the boiling, boiling point of lead? And let me give just a few others. So what is the size of this room? What is the differential of this equation? What is um, the sum of any number and any other number?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so these are just some examples. And in every field, there are going to be questions of, of procedure or fact. Mm-hmm. so let's just take the field of psychology so they're going to be you could say what is uh what is uh, a reasonable way of explaining albert ellis's primary concepts
2: mm-hmm.
0: that he uses in his reasoning mm-hmm. so because he had core concepts he used them over and over again you should be able to articulate this
2: mm-hmm. and
0: we should be able to say that's accurate
2: mm-hmm.
0: and um you can say, well, that's really a question of judgment. I could say, well, you might stretch it a bit, but
1: you mm-hmm. know,
0: if Albert Ellis was standing over my shoulder and I were answering that, I think he'd be asking, is she accurate?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and
0: if she's not, I'm gonna say, no, that's not a question of judgment. That's a question of whether you understood what I was saying when you read my books. Right. right. So uh, I don't want people to think that these are just questions like in math and science. They're questions that it, wherever you have an agreed upon a way of articulating it or procedure or answer mm-hmm. whether where you can apply the standard of accuracy mm-hmm. mm-hmm. then another move you can make mm-hmm. and then questions of preference again just so people are clear these are questions in which you never have to give your reasoning when you answer them. Right. So yeah. if somebody says to me, well why do you do you like to wear a red shirt? So I say yeah I think I like to wear red. But why do you like to wear red? Mm-hmm. So or uh, justify your uh, wearing red all the time. (laughs) So, and why do you wear that scarf, that color? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, so these are questions of preference. Do you like to wear your hair in a certain way? Do you want to be tattooed? Do you Mm -hmm. want to wear jewelry? Mm -hmm. Uh, Now notice, I didn't say in that last one, I said, do you want to wear jewelry? I didn't say, do you think humans are justified in mining gold and silver to make jewelry for people?
2: Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. a different question. Right.
0: And I just said, do you want, if I say, do you want, and you say, so if a teacher says, what did you like about the field trip? And you say, not a damn thing. You You can't further judge them. You ask them what they liked about it. They liked nothing. Right. If you, think, if, if you said, what did you learn from the experience?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Then that's not a question of preference.
1: Right. Well, And one thing that makes this uh, confusing I think is that people in certain fields like, like literature um, often at, are asking for a question of judgment but they phrase it as a question of preference. Like what's your favorite Shakespearean play and then they ask why, and the question, both questions kind of make sense, it's just, they don't really mean what's your favorite, they mean mean something much more, um, having involving much more judgment than that, Mm -hmm. and uh, I think that's quite, it's quite prevalent, so it does, so yeah, Um, yeah, so it just has to do with phrasing something as a question of judgment, but one that, one that in fact, isn't um, in effect asking, what are the reasons for thinking that play is more effective than the other? So it could be a question that's kind of exactly. like, that. yeah.
0: So this is why the way we ask questions is so mm-hmm. important.
2: Mm-hmm. If you
0: ask for something, what someone liked, mm-hmm. they don't have to say anything, they can say mm-hmm. nothing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And if you if you say, what did you learn from that? What do you think is valuable in this? Mm-hmm. Which is the most important of Shakespeare's plays, and why? Then mm-hmm. I have a guide for my reasoning if I'm right. a student. Then you've yeah. then you've given me some something to work with.
2: Mm-hmm. And, but
0: so we 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 need to make sure that we mean um, when we say, "Do you want?" And when you ask a question, "Do you want this?" should be able to produce that (laughs) so in other words like if you ask a child do you want to go to school today Mm -hmm. and they say no (laughs) you want to get ready right now no (laughs) then you should be able if you ask them if they want then you should be able to follow through on your you know let them do whatever they want to do as a result you see but if you mean uh you've got 10 minutes to get ready and get in the car then that's
1: yeah yeah you should say yeah Yeah. Yeah, and it 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 brings up that that other thing uh, the parental voice just influenced me about this about how we try to soften things by making them into questions when they're really not a question Um, Yes. don't, don't you think you should try to get along with your teacher better than you do now honey (laughs) Oh. <laughs> no i don't think so right all. out of
0: that school <laughs> i'm coming I, home at noon
1: <laughs> no but, i considered that question and like, i i decided no i
0: don't have any good <laughs> right so this is you know this just shows the importance of using language with with clarity and precision mm-hmm. and as it were accurately in context depending mm-hmm. on what you're driving at mm-hmm. so and i might add that you know, people will often impose their wants on other people. This often happens in a marriage when it begins to dissolve. Right. So the 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 let's just say uh, the the woman wants to wear a certain dress to a party, and the man starts saying, you know, it's not appropriate, I don't want you to wear that, I don't like that dress,
2: mm-hmm. and so
0: she's chosen something that she wants to wear that she would enjoy wearing, mm-hmm. and it's a question of preference,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: in her mind, and then, you know, the other person is constantly imposing, or in this case, imposing,
2: mm-hmm. unless say
0: it's a habit, and mm-hmm. it can go the other way as well, that's just one
2: case, right, right, So
0: if somebody says, I don't like your hair that way, Linda, my answer, my question is, well, who asked you what?
1: (laughs) Right.
2: To,
0: you know, impose your, your views on me. And this is also important uh, to cultural, um, the the cultural arena, Mm
2: -hmm. because
0: often, again, cultural relativism, of course, is a problem. Where we're not dealing with just a a culture's preference right, but an ethical dimension of human life mm-hmm. so uh, so in other words, mm-hmm. people have um, a right to do all kinds of things culturally that they want to do. What do you like to wear? Do you want to wear anything? Do you want to wear nothing? do you want to um, Wear your hair this way, and all these things that you might want to do—they're just having to do with your preference in terms of style. A lot of sexual behavior falls into this category, but not all. And so that's why ethics is so important in knowing when you're dealing with an ethical question or where you're dealing with a cultural question.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed, yeah, yeah, very, very much so. Um, yeah, and and what it's uh okay to do meaning accepted to do in one culture can be very different from what it is to do in another culture and and indeed even two of the things we mentioned before if if you're in that culture that question may never arise in your mind because you're just so used to dressing the way they do in their their culture or the way we do in our culture i mean i can't imagine wearing a speedo to teach my class um um, uh, uh, so (laughs)
0: if people know what that is
1: yeah one of those abbreviated swimsuits <laughs> someone told me um, I thought. <laughs> um,
0: yeah so uh, if you walked into a class so i'm imagining you walking into a classroom with 30 to 40 students mm-hmm. and you're walking into the front of the class with only a very slim swimsuit on right that would not be
1: Conducive uh, to education no, and all. No,
0: I don't think that would be right. acceptable in right. that context.
1: Right, and unless something comes up for me, I it would it would never. I would never raise the question. So should I wear a swimsuit to class today? I just, mm-hmm. uh, I just wouldn't. So culturally, the thing. Uh, the thing, the question often doesn't arise. And then the other one has got to do with safety or an implicit unconscious idea of safety. And that is to a certain extent, I need to, as the swimsuit example shows, I need to accommodate myself to the expectations of others. I can't just be, I can't wantonly be uh, offending people. I don't wanna say you can't. Uh, I mean, there there are problems in wantonly offending people. even if it's even if it's legal and ethical um
0: well if this gets into social (laughs) social conventions let's say customs right so now i was thinking when i was explaining what you were (laughs) trying to what i heard you saying i was imagining now a different scenario where a person is teaching a scuba diving class Mm -hmm. and everyone's got swimsuits on
2: Mm -hmm. And it's
0: perfectly, if you walked out there with a suit on. Right. Or you see, they'd look at you like, so you were crazy. So the context is to a large degree determining what, what rules we have to apply to ourselves in that situation. So in this, in this dialogue, for example, where there are certain rules that apply. So we have to dress in a certain way and, um, like we're not eating while we're talking, right? We're, (laughs) I'm trying to think of obvious examples. We're trying to make sure that everything's quiet on the outside so we can have this discussion. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: You know, so, and I've got lights here. So now I work Mm -hmm. with my lights quite a bit. I don't know if they're Mm -hmm. working perfectly, but you see. So yes, we're, we're trying to make this situation conducive to learning on the part of the listener or the viewer. And if we come in with shocking behavior or offensive behavior, according to social rules, Mm -hmm. then they won't be able to learn. But I've been, we've been in, I've I've taught workshops or say like, for example, in Hawaii, if you teach workshop there, one of the things that people do is they bring in a lot of food so they bring in food for everything you know and so during the workshop use there's just piles and piles of food on all the tables mm-hmm. and i'm thinking of you know working with the content <laughs> yeah. and and that's a cultural thing so that so that's um and also people there you know dress in certain ways right they 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 wear uh the professional people tend to wear more relaxed hawaiian type clothing that's mm-hmm. very common there and mm-hmm. so that's these are all questions of preference and and mm-hmm. they are appropriately so mm-hmm. so if you, you know like to have a lot of food while you're working in a workshop why not you know that what's wrong with that that's not going to violate any standards mm-hmm. of ethics
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> and 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 uh, with me personally I think this is true for most other people, but it may not be. And it's that uh, I mean, I, I kind of think of myself as a as a critical thinker, as a relatively rational person who who kind of shouldn't, in my mind, shouldn't be uh, shouldn't have these cultural norms deeply embedded in me. Mm-hmm. And that's and I think that's just self-delusion on my part <laughs> because because um, yes. I too was raised in a certain culture and there are, there are things to wear, or things to do, or ways of acting that that uh, are very difficult for me when I go into another culture. Now, it's aided by the fact that I've visited a lot of places and stayed in a lot of places, so I've gotten much more accustomed to it. Um, but but just people eat foods that I can't I can't can't bring myself to eat fat spiders. Yes. Yes. Um, the way they the way they do in Cambodia. I mean, it just mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and uh, I know it's completely cultural. Um, right. That doesn't get me out of it. Yeah, yeah.
0: That, that's that's interesting. Yes, I think it's good when you place yourself in that situation. So I remember once eating um, in it was Singapore, an area that was the Indian area,
2: mm-hmm.
0: India, where you know had their shops and a lot of restaurants and so people were eating you know with their hands
2: mm-hmm. and
0: i was looking at my hands and ah. i was thinking these are really gross and i want to put them in my food and i want to put that in my mouth and i'm going to be it's going to be squishy and i'm going to be putting it in this sauce and i'm going to be like that seems so you see all of that sounds like that's like it feels like sort of disgusting and yeah. then I realized, of course, Linda, this is all cultural. They're all doing this. They're all very comfortable. So you know that if you had been raised in that culture, you would be not thinking any of these thoughts right now.
2: Right. Yeah. That would
0: be, that's very important to be able to, to make those ex- executive moves where you you, know, you look at your thing and you sort of start laughing at it.
1: That's right. Like, yeah.
0: Linda, you're you're being ridiculous right now. You know, come yeah. on, what are you? You're showing how provincial you are.
1: Yeah, that's right. And and um, a question that often arises for me, a kind of a for me a deep background or foundational question is how many of the things that I do or think or engage in um, or believe are cultural uh, without my knowledge that without my realizing that they're 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 either cultural or have a large degree of of culture, but cultural uniformity behind it. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I get a counter for that by going to other cultures, but also by reading about different times in history. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes, so that's, that. (laughs) yes. Let me, uh, just before uh, we end this discussion on the the three types of questions, we've Mm -hmm. talked a little bit about questions of procedure or fact, and we've talked a little bit about questions of preference and we've talked about cultural preferences and and we've talked a little bit about relativism. Now, um, questions of judgment, I'd like to just narrow in on that category for a few minutes. In schooling, we tend, of course, to focus on questions of fact. So we give students fact one, fact two, fact, 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 Mm fact. So we we give them a lot of
2: Mm -hmm. um,
0: facts and of course, all of these facts interrelate, but we usually don't <laughs> help them see the interrelationships. And often mm-hmm. teachers themselves don't know what these are.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So um, and sometimes we confuse questions of fact uh, with questions of pre- preference or judgment, as we've mentioned. Um, so questions of judgment are almost entirely ignored, not only in schooling, but also in societies. Yeah. And not why well, I that I, I don't mean that we're not engaging in questions of judgment. We are mm-hmm. engaging in them very frequently. Right. But we're not we're not doing it in a disciplined way. We're not aware that it's a question mm-hmm. of judgment necessarily.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and we don't really know how to approach questions of judgment in a disciplined way. So let's just take a question like this is. Uh, should euthanasia be legalized? Now to answer that question um, and to come up with the better a better answer of the possible answers, uh, then we're going to have to make a number of intellectual moves. Right. We're going to have to consider the viewpoint of the person who would want to engage in such a practice. So the person who wants to basically have the right to kill themselves. Mm -hmm. And we've got to, with intellectual empathy, understand the thinking and the feelings and the pain of such a person Mm -hmm. coming to such a point.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And we have to do that in good faith. Mm And we haven't done that, then we cannot say we've adequately answered the question. And now another dimension, so once we've done that, we've got to consider the legal implications Uh, because we're not asking, is it justified? We're not asking, is euthanasia justified in this case? We're asking whether it should be legalized. Right. Right. You can believe that it's justified and not want it to be legal because you're afraid that the legal system can't manage it properly. Right. Can't manage that process. You don't trust the legal system. So you think that family members are going to easily be able to kill someone in their family. Well, you know, there are moves that you could make here. And legal systems are better and worse depending on the countries that we're talking mm-hmm. about. So once you make something into law, you could, you know, someone could argue, then you've got a whole lot of co cluster of problems or questions that you face. So you've got to, these are just some, some early easy moves that mm-hmm. we've got to make. If we're going to answer this question, should euthanasia be legalized uh, adequately?
1: Yeah. And, uh, let me say about, uh, education, uh, stressing fact, 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 facts, <laughs> um, and, uh, and the role of facts. Uh, so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, Suspicious, I'm not suspicious of facts, of course, but I'm suspicious often of the role facts play in dialogue in that, so the -hmm. extent of my understanding, I, I see very few substantive questions which are ever answered by stating a fact or even a group of facts. Um, and often what people do is they say a fact as if that settles the matter, right? Like the, the question of euthanasia, you mm. can say, but the a person can say euthanasia, that's killing someone. And that's a fact. <laughs> but mm. You can't settle the question of whether euthanasia should be legalized or is okay by stating a fact like it's killing someone Mm -hmm. or people sometimes, so I'm not gonna be saying anything about whether abortion is justified or not, but people sometimes will say abortion is taking a life. Well, of Mm -hmm. course that's true, but that doesn't settle the question of whether it's justified or should be legal or anything like that. And, And as far as I can see, people use resort to questions as a way of not having to confront what's really going on. I'm not saying always, but often. It's a way of stepping out of the yeah. of the actual issue mm-hmm. that you're discussing.
0: Right. And in, in, in a way, what they're doing is they're saying, I'm unwilling to think about to think through this question in a disciplined way. Right. So I'm going to make a move that will just knock you down so right. here, here's another one my religion thinks it's wrong so it's over so if i ask a student on a uh, let's say in a class that i'm teaching i ask the question should euthanasia be legalized the answer no because my religion says it's wrong right
1: and that's a fact <laughs> yeah
0: and yeah. The, and the grade is f mm-hmm. because the person is trying they're making a move that they think means that they don't have to make any other moves. Right, right. And actually their religious views are not relevant because this is not a religious question.
2: No, right, yeah.
0: And they can say, well, yeah, because our religion says it's wrong, again, to kill yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but then how does that take into account the suffering of the person who wants to die? Mm-hmm. The person who wants to die who would be able to get it done in a legal system mm-hmm. is going to have to be suffering to a very high degree mm-hmm. and have to be uh, cognizant of what they're doing, fully cognizant.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So you're
0: saying to me, you don't have to think through that. You don't have to even consider that because your God says it's wrong.
1: Mm-hmm. Or the report, the report of what your God says.
0: Exactly. So where <laughs> are we getting those thoughts right. from, that, right. that are attributed to God?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See, and then
0: suddenly it's like, well, somebody wrote them. Well, who mm-hmm. wrote them? Well, the hand of God. Wait a minute. What hand of God? As it turns out, it was actually a human being.
2: Mm-hmm. Whole and budget. as soon
0: as you say that, then the, it's, wait a minute. Somebody wrote that down using their ideas out of their head. And you're telling me that that's going to trump mm-hmm. a person suffering a horrifying disease. Mm-hmm. And as I say that, when I say that a horrifying disease, I'm trying to be there. I'm trying to imagine that feeling of mm-hmm. wanting to die because mm-hmm. you're in so much pain. And if you can't do that, when you answer such a question, then you are not, um, you're, you're not in good faith
1: right.
0: approaching the question.
1: Right. And, and I think kind of related to that, the way, uh, way questions of factor procedure, one system questions, and, and questions of judgment, multi-system procedures, I, I think that in many cases, it's not all or nothing. It is about the lo- boiling point of lead, but the role of experimentation shows that some things tend strong to become much more strongly questions of fact without necessarily going all the, all the way toward that. Uh, I mean, Aristotle and Freud believed that watching violent films uh, made, or tragedies uh, gave you catharsis and you were purged of your feelings of for Aristotle pity and fear, but that it, it helped you as uh, become more accustomed to your life. And uh, there've been lots of now experiments on that where it's been shown fairly conclusively that nothing like that happens, that in fact watching something that's that's violent induces a greater amount of violence in the person who watches it. So what that does for me, it means that catharsis, which was originally a multi-system question, let's think it through, how does it work out, but that the experimentation doesn't quite, doesn't refute the idea of, of catharsis happening, but it gives a strong fact, based reason to doubt it. Um, so, and I think it, it doesn't have to be about the catharsis one, but I think there are a lot of such questions. As you do more experimentation, it doesn't get doesn't always get things all the way to yes or no, but it gets things all the way to, well, 90% of our evidence is on this side. Um,
0: so if you take the question, does violence, uh, let's say viewing violence, uh-huh or in Aristotle's case, maybe reading about violence, if you're, if you're then, then you are, then that's kind of good for you because you're catharting, that's one view. Right, right. And yet, so in other words, if the question then was, does, does um, viewing violence lead to violence? The answer for them was no but the right, answer right. in fact is yes.
1: Yeah, or and or so, probably tends to be yes, which is-
0: Yeah, exactly, so yes. not necessarily obviously. You see, that's one of the problems with studies. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that every person who right. engages in watching something violent becomes violent. Right. It means that there's too much of a tendency in that direction mm-hmm. to be comfortable with mm-hmm. this, just mm-hmm. allowing this. Mm-hmm. anyone who's ever had a child and allowed them to watch violence on TV and usually it's in cartoon form mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. and they,
0: they can see their child engaging in the violence. I yeah. mean, yeah. especially, yeah. um, yeah. well, I'm hesitant to say, especially boys, because I'll get into trouble if I say that, but, uh, I do think that there are certain tendencies that can be pulled, called out in people and right there it's all right and but it would not necessarily in other people mm-hmm. so so then um the important thing here for me is, or one important thing is that is that the is that questions of judgment are essential for us to be able to reason through mm-hmm. and um we there are better and worse answers to these questions, right? And then I think we could begin to wrap this up and, and really go back to our earlier discussion on clusters of questions in the assignment that I gave,
2: mm-hmm.
0: which was um, if you if you if you ask the question, "How should I live my life?"
2: Mm-hmm.
0: that's a that's a question of judgment,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and I think. I think that all of the all critical thinking theory and discussions should lead us to live better somehow. <laughs> and so we could ask,
2: mm-hmm.
0: well, what are the big questions driving my life? What are the big questions I face in my life? Mm-hmm. And are these questions of judgment? And if mm-hmm. so, how well is my judgment here? Mm-hmm. and And then, you really use these these questions to get gain leverage in our thinking so if yeah. we're if we're in a discussion with someone and they're racing let's say you start to suddenly you're arguing about a category one question
2: mm-hmm. it's a
0: question of fact that you're arguing about
2: mm-hmm. is there any
0: is there are there any apples in the refrigerator
2: mm-hmm.
0: well i think there are four No, last time i looked there were three i'm pretty sure there were four well, why not just wait until you Well, we don't really know. We're on the way to the store. So we have to, well, we don't know the answer. So let's just say that we're going to have to count them when we get home. People get into, you know, big fights over things like this, you know, Mm -hmm. whether there's any any apples in the refrigerator. Mm -hmm. So If you're dealing with the question of fact, you can say, wait a minute, this is a question of fact. Can we just wait and answer Mm -hmm. this later? Why are we discussing this when we don't have the facts?
2: Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. And then, or is this a question of preference? Wait a minute. Are you imposing your preferences upon me? Am I imposing them upon mine on you? Mm -hmm. Or is this really a question of judgment where we, and we have enough data to answer the question. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So in other words, questions of judgment, by the way, presuppose questions of fact, because if we're dealing with a complex question of judgment, then there are going to be questions we need to answer before we answer those questions. and. There we're going to have to have data. So if if we're if we're asking a question, should let's just go back to should euthanasia be legalized? And let's say that we agree that that people should be allowed to end their own lives, all things being equal. Let's just say we think they should have that right. Mm -hmm. But then we think, but then we say, but you know, I don't really know how the legal system would handle this. In other words, I don't even know how this would work in the legal system. How would this? How would this become law, and what would it look like? You see, mm-hmm. then now I'm out of my realm of knowledge, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I can't. Maybe at that point, I can't really say whether the legal system is going to be uh, able to handle this.
1: Indeed, yeah, right issue. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so right. we can say i understand this in, in dealing with this question i i can answer this part of it but i really can't answer that part of it Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. Uh, yeah it's uh so it, i'm going to say something very speculative right now um but you said i think exactly right that uh questions of judgment presuppose prior questions of fact and I'm wondering if the reverse is true—that questions of fact presuppose prior questions uh, <laughs> of judgment. So
0: that's a that's a that's a an interesting question. You could probably say yes if you say at some point they had to be researched again as questions of you know because we didn't know the answer.
1: Right. right. But even is but even aside from historical investigation, I mean our our most mundane uh, mathematical procedures rest on five axioms of arithmetic. And axioms are assumptions. Uh, they're not ever proved. So, and, and uh, what we say about physics, kind of hard and fast kinds of things, rest on mm-hmm. Newton's laws of motion, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. turn out not mm-hmm. to be quite right, have to be adjusted by relativity theory so they rest on these reason judgments which are themselves not proved but are axiomatic for what follows so yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah i can see a,
0: how that yeah that definitely i could see that yeah um but i so i think for practical purposes to wrap that up we ask are there any facts that we already know are right. agreed upon Indeed. And if there are we can count on those as facts right then do we yes. Is that as far as we have to go or do we have to go further and now get other facts having to do with other parts of the question and, or mm-hmm. other points of view that have to be considered Indeed, in yeah. answering this question? And that, by the way, is one of the hallmarks of the question of judgment. There is more than one way of looking at the, the facts, right. so there's more than one point of view relevant here. And we exactly. have to think within all of the relevant viewpoints and with all and all of the relevant data mm-hmm. to answer it. And if we leave any of that out, then mm-hmm. we really can't justify our answer. Unless we just, I just don't know the part. I don't know the, I don't know that. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know it and you can't find it, or it's not reasonable to think that you should find it in context, right. then you should just make that move. That's the part that I don't know.
1: Right. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah.
0: So I think, Gerald, uh, we should now wrap this up. We, we had intentions of covering more, of course, and we can continue the question series. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've, in this session, mainly been focusing, again, on clusters of questions. We've talked a little bit about student applic- application to the classroom, and we've mm-hmm. really been focusing primarily then on going for deeper in three types of questions.
2: hmm and
0: we'll, we'll go into prior questions and conceptual questions in our next session. So Gerald, thank you. Thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you. I, I've, I've, enjoyed, I've enjoyed it very much. It's been interesting and uh, I, I'm just very pleased that we got to go into three types of questions in a much deeper way than I have before uh, and in conjunction with one another. Um, so.
2: it's, it's always
0: it's always enjoyable. The time always flies by, and it's um, it, it's just thrilling to be able to build on one another's understandings
2: mm-hmm. and
0: mm-hmm. to explore some ideas that we don't always get a chance to explore right. in working in our introductory uh, yeah. sessions.
1: So in, I'm going and to- exploring them with you together is different from exploring them in my own mind when I'm sitting all by myself Uh, it's quite different yeah much much more fruitful
0: yes yes this is why working together with people who are trying to develop their thinking is so important Mm -hmm. and so with that we'll say goodbye for now thank you everyone for
2: joining us and thank you again Gerald
1: bye Linda thank you bye